Amen. What a great word for us today. There is a sense of movement that we would grow up, that we would develop, that we would move on. Thank you so much, Jamie and Reese and musicians for leading us this morning in worshiping and considering this idea of moving forward. Anybody here thankful that you're not now where you once were? I think all of us. We know we haven't arrived yet, but God has brought us forward. I want to invite your attention to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. And if you'll turn there to Romans 1, we'll come to our text in just a moment. We're going to look at one verse in the book of Romans. We'll, we'll look at some other supplemental verses, but this is really going to be our focus. Today is the fourth and final message in, in sort of a, a series that was sort of kind of between book studies. We're moving toward the book of Ecclesiastes next week where many of you are studying it in Sunday school, but we've called this series Grow Up. Starting next week, we're going to talk about wising up. We're going to talk about wisdom biblically. And as we look today at this matter of growing up, we have said very simply a picture of a cross kind of gives you a four-pointed direction, if you will, toward growth. That we are grounded in the Word, that we are connected in prayer. Last week, Scott Alexander talked to us about our relationship on the, on the horizontal plane. It moves in two directions. That we have fellowship with one another. And today, I want us to talk about the relationship relationship and the responsibility that you and I have as Christians to the world. I've called this message Witness to the World, and we're going to talk together about this matter of sharing with others, about reaching out with a gospel witness in our lives. And as we think about this, then I want us to, to really focus in on the idea uh, of this very pointed question. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to listen to it. I want you to write it down. I want you to consider it in your mind, not just today, but perhaps every day for the rest of your life. Maybe now I've got somebody's attention. A question of that kind of magnitude. And here's the question. Have you ever wondered, have you ever considered, when God saved you, why did he leave you here on earth? I want to give you a moment to write that question down. When God saved you, why did he leave you here on earth? I mean, he could have immediately saved your soul and taken you to heaven. I don't think you would have complained about that. You would have said, praise God, I get freed from all the burdens and the limitations of this life. But God didn't do that. Some of you got saved quite some time ago and you've been kind of trudging through the difficulties of this life, trying to serve him and to live for him and to follow him. But in the midst of the, the chaos of this world, we, we need to ask that question. It's a question that a lot of people probably would never have occurred to them. You may not have ever really thought about that or given it much thought. And truth be told, when you think about a question like that, no quick answer probably came to mind, not one immediate thing. But you need to think about it. We need to think on this. If God had wanted to, he could have taken you directly to heaven the moment you trusted Jesus as Savior. But he didn't, which means he left you here for a reason. Let me just kind of put that on the screen for you to see. God did not take you directly to heaven the moment you trusted Jesus. I know that's a, a, a very uh, obvious thing. We're all here that have trusted Christ. But today I want you to think about what God left you here on earth to do. Why are you here? What is it? Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. 
What is it that you can do here on earth that you cannot do in heaven? And when we ask and answer that question, then you'll understand why it is that God did not take you to heaven immediately when he saved you. Think about this. We sing here on earth. Aren't you glad? Anybody here like music? I, I love music. I'm thankful. Do you think we're going to sing in heaven? You better believe it. We will sing with the angelic choir and the chorus of all of the redeemed of all of the ages, and that will be a glorious day. But we can do that here on earth, and so God didn't leave you on earth so you could sing. We can pray on earth, and we certainly will be able to pray in heaven. We'll be able to talk directly to God. So he didn't leave you here on earth to pray. He didn't leave you here on earth to sing. We can fellowship with other believers right here on earth. Scott Alexander talked about that last week. We can enjoy time and fellowship and in sweet uh, connection with one another in small groups and in corporate worship and in uh, around tables of food. And we can enjoy those things, but we will enjoy that forever in heaven. So that's not the answer. That list could go on and on, but when you think about it, there is one main thing that you can do here on earth that you will never, ever do in heaven. You will not be able to tell a lost sinner that Jesus saves. Why? There will be no sinners in heaven. You're not going to be able to tell them the good news. If you're going to do so, you've got to do that now while you're still here on earth. Now, as we consider that, I want you to think about one verse today as the basis for our thoughts about witnessing for Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a mature believer, then sharing your faith with others is a critical component. You need to be connected to God in His Word. You need that guidance and instruction and His voice and the relationship. You need to be connected to God in prayer. You need to have that vertical component where he speaks to you and you speak to him. You need to have fellowship with other believers. But I think somehow we think we've gotten a pass on this last one and it's for super saints. They go and share. Or that's for our church staff. It's for our pastor and for our deacons. They get paid, if you will, to, to do those things. They're the ones that need to share the gospel. And so I'll leave that to the professionals. But God did not leave that as room for us. All of us are called to follow Jesus Christ and to fish for men. All of us are called to be witnesses to the world. So I want us to consider just a couple of thoughts here. A man by the name of William Arno, he was a Scottish pastor in the last century, said something pretty incredible. And I want to give you this quote. He said, two things are very, very true about every Christian. To every true Christian, these two things may be said. Read this statement with me. You have need of Christ, and Christ has need of you. That's kind of an interesting statement. We often say God doesn't need anything, but God has chosen to use us. And he has called us the body, and he gives you and I the opportunity and the responsibility to be his voice to the lost and dying world, that we would share the gospel. Now, I want you to see this. He went on to say something that is sobering. And I want you to hear this with me. Look at these words. The simple fact that a Christian is on earth and not in heaven is proof that there is something for him to do. Does that make sense? Yes or no? The fact that he didn't save you and immediately transport you to heaven tells me, me and tells you that there's something for us to do. But look at the second half of this statement. This is incredible. As we move forward, I'll read it out of my notes. Maybe we'll, there we go. 
If he is not doing it, the neglect shows either that, and I want you to read these next lines with me. He is not yet a Christian or that he is a Christian who grieves Christ. Let that wash over you for a moment, church. Go back one slide. The simple fact that a Christian is on earth and not in heaven is proof that there is something here for you to do, sir, madam, husband, father, mom, wife, student. If you are a believer, if you claim the name of Christ, you have an obligation before Christ to obey him. Would you agree with that, yes or no? And Arno went on to say, and if you are not doing it, it proves one of two things. Either you're not really a Christian or you are disobedient and in your disobedience you are grieving the heart of Christ. That's a hard statement. But I believe that there are many, many nominal Christians who come in, in good-hearted measure and even with decent motives. They come to church, they try to be nice, they try to be good people, but they've never been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's evidenced in this one fact that they don't ever, ever share their faith. I mean, we talk about things that we love. You want to talk about somebody with their, uh, their new grandbaby and the pictures that they have with them? I guarantee you they'll tie you up and talk about that grandbaby or the new car or the new house or the vacation or whatever it is that we celebrate in our lives. And if you are not sharing Christ, now I know immediately, so great, I came to church and our pastor is inducing guilt. He's going to slap me and say, you ought to go witness. You better go be a witness. No, I think that the reality of this really should be pointed that if we love Christ, it will flow out of our lives so we need to probably do a checkup from the neck up are you a Christian are you truly safe because we don't have time in this day and in this age and at this late hour to play games eternity is too long for you to be wrong and you and I need to get this one down in our hearts and I'm not saying you witness to become a Christian I say witnessing flows out of your Christian faith and Arno pointed that out to us sobering if we're not sharing, perhaps we're not saved. If we're not sharing, we're either unsaved or in sin. And that takes us to Romans 1, verse 5. Let's read this together. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. The Apostle Paul writes these words and says, God has graced us with the responsibility and a privilege of sharing with everybody everywhere the good news of what Christ has done for them. And we do so so that they will believe and they will obey and so that God would be glorified. Notice some words and some phrases here. He says, apostles, to tell them, look at this, look at the verse with me. He says, we've been given the privilege and authority as apostles. Now let's look at the next one. To tell Gentiles everywhere. He said, so God's given us the responsibility. By the way, look at me this moment. The word apostle very simply means sent ones. You're like a letter. God has written a letter to a lost and dying world and you are to live sent. You are to live as a letter. You are to live on mission wherever you go. If you go to school, if you go to work, if you go across the street or around the world, you are to live sent. 
And you are to do so so that you can tell people everywhere what God has done for them. We're going to get into that, but for a very specific purpose, so that they will believe and obey. Move on to the next. So that they'll believe and obey. And the idea from there moves forward, it will bring God glory. So you see those phrases there. So we are sent by God to share his message with everyone, to produce faithful obedience, and to bring him glory. It's all tied up in that one text. We are sent by God. Everybody say that. I'll say it, then you do. We are sent by God to share his message with everyone. To produce faithful obedience and to bring him glory. That statement that I've given you really ought to encapsulate this whole message. Jesus said in another place in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 4, Follow me and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. We need to clarify this message. We need to understand this incredible analogy of fishing. How many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? Raise it high. Watch this, though. How many of you have ever caught a fish? Ever? Look at that. Some of you say, no, I'm not a fisherman. But almost everybody here said, I've caught a fish before. You, you don't have to be the best at it. You don't have to be vocationally a fisherman to fish for men. Anybody and everybody can catch fish, and anybody and everybody can witness. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but I want you to think about this. We need to clarify our mission and our message. Our mission is clear. Jesus said it. I want you to write these two words down, follow and fish. <laughs> follow and fish. That's what God's called you to, be a follower of Jesus and to be a fisher of men. That is not with any qualified uh, picture of who that is for specifically. It's for everyone. It is an unqualified universal statement for believers. I follow, I fish. If you're not fishing, you're probably not following or at least not closely. All right? And you're not going to fish if you're not following. So it goes back and forth. You need to hear this message. The, the, the issue for us, the mission for us is to catch fish and not to improve the lake. All right? This is going to be significant for our day and our age. Fishermen's responsibility is to go catch fish, not to have a, a better lake. Now, they may work on the lake at times, but the reality is that a fisherman's job is to catch fish. And our message, if that's our mission, to be fishers of men, our message is tied up in this, the incarnation and the atonement. Now, I know that this starts getting into theology really, really quickly. I just want you to see this. What does incarnation mean? That Jesus took on flesh. Jesus came to earth. What does atonement mean? That Jesus covered sin. The gospel message is very simple. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, and paid for the sin debt of all who would believe. That is critically important for us to get. That is the message, and our mission is to go and tell it. He said, I've been given the privilege and responsibility to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they may believe and obey and bring God glory. Are we all tracking? Is everybody with me here? Because we're going someplace with this. You need to understand this message of the gospel. Christ offers forgiveness of sins and peace with God. He offers brand new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his death 
uh, offered to us beyond our death an entrance not into the hell that we deserve, but into heaven, into everlasting life, into the presence of God. That is the message. That is the gospel. This is the good news. You can be saved today. That is incredibly good news. Now, there's an offense to that message. The uniqueness of Christ, that it is Christ alone, that that he is the one that we need and the fact that there is something we need. I've met a lot of people who would consider themselves self-made. They've done well in business and in finance and with their families and they say, I really have need of nothing. Oh, dear friend, you are so sadly, sadly deceived. You need a savior. You need to be saved. And here's the problem. Studying through church history, you'll know that every century, people have understood that message. They have understood that the gospel meant that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, incarnation. That he covered sin, atonement. The problem is about a hundred years ago, a brand new line of thinking kind of entered into our churches, a movement that we call liberalism. And liberalism came in and began to slowly change the message. You see, liberalism did not accept the inspiration of the Word of God. Liberalism did not believe this really is God's Word. Did God really say? It's not a a new uh, philosophy. Satan started that in the beginning. But follow along with me. What happened with this notion of liberalism is this, that the message has now changed. Liberalism has a different message and a different mission. The message of liberalism was not the incarnation and the atonement. Liberalism believes in this, and I want you to see it, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. The fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That God is the father of all and we just need to all get along. And the idea there is that we're not catching individual fish, but we're trying to transform the culture. And the problem with that is that's not the mission that Jesus left us. I I promise you, if you'll stay with me, you'll hear this. The, the, The idea in liberalism is we don't need to preach an offensive gospel that sin is sin. We don't need to tell people that without Christ they're going to hell. We need to tell them God's the father of all and God loves you. Did we sing that earlier? Does God love us? Yes or no? Do you believe that God so loved the world? That he did what? He gave his son. But see, liberalism leaves that part out. Liberalism says God loves the world. and We ought to all be loved. We ought to be embracing and accepting of everybody. No, no, we, we embrace people. Yes, there is a universal brotherhood of man, but only in Christ are we saved. And I want you to hear this. That's not a cruel, exclusive message. It's just the truth. Without Christ, you will not be saved. And the idea of this notion of liberalism is this. You don't need the incarnation and the atonement for that. If I'm going to buy into this lie of liberalism, then I need to understand there's no need for conversion. There's no hell to be saved from in that message. The new message leads to a new mission. Liberalism changes the mission over from individual salvation to cultural transformation. We just need to make the culture better. We need to work harder. We need to work politically. We need to do all kinds of things. And yes, we have a part in the political process, but I want want you to hear this over and over again. Our job is to share the good news. Romans 1.5 said we've been given the privilege and the responsibility to tell people everywhere what God has done for them in Christ so that they will believe and obey and so that it will bring glory to God. Does that make sense? 
Hardy Street Baptist Church's mission is not just to make a better Hattiesburg through any kind of political or public reform. And there's nothing new under the sun. That's not our job description. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. God's method of changing Hattiesburg and the world is individual heart change when men and women and boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do this, we realize that our mission is to catch men, not to improve the lake. You hear people talking about bringing God's kingdom here and changing the city or the nation or social justice and reform. Those things are not part of the gospel. The gospel is clear, the incarnation and the atonement. And you say, Pastor, why are you on such a soapbox about this? Because if we get the message wrong, we've missed everything. Our church ought to be a beacon of hope for people, not just saying we can help you turn over a new leaf. No, we can help you receive new life. That's the difference. And when individual hearts are changed and churches bond together in Christ to share the news, we'll change the lake. But it's not about social justice. It's not about those constructs that deny the word of God. We need to see this. Just before Jesus returned to heaven, he very pointedly said, go and make disciples, share this good news with them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are to be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. In heaven, there will be no witnessing because there will be no need. Seeing then is believing. And I'm not trying to just camp out on this one thought, but political Power can change leaders, but it can't change hearts. And we need to understand that. Uh, it can win an election, but it can't save a life. It, it can pass righteous laws or even repeal unrighteous ones, but it cannot make people righteous. Think about this with me. In 1919, our Congress ratified the 18th Amendment of the Constitution. It prohibited the sale of and distribution of alcohol in America. And there were tons of people that supported that and said, we recognize alcohol is a scourge on our society. It breaks up families and destroys lives. And there were evangelists like Billy Sunday who led the charge and they were well-meaning in that thought, but they, they believed that outlawing liquor, they could somehow improve society. Many called it the great experiment. It didn't work, and here's why. Millions chose to flout the law by patronizing bootleggers and speakeasies. You created an underground network. Now, am I saying that, well, we shouldn't fight the fight? No, we absolutely should fight the fight everywhere we can. But our job is not just to fight that fight. Our job is to lead men and women to submit their lives to Jesus. Think about this. The great experiment was over when the 21st century repealed the uh, 21st Amendment repealed the 18th. And it failed because no law can change human nature. A point that Paul makes very forcefully in Romans 7. If people want to drink, all the laws in the world aren't going to stop them. You can outlaw all the guns in the world and people will kill each other with rocks or forks or whatever else. Because there's malice in the heart. 
Again, this isn't a discussion about politic, and we can get into those things. I'm actively engaged in the political process, and I think that we need to have an influence through lawmakers, and I'm thankful for a nation like we have, a republic like we have, that, that gives us the freedom and the opportunity to vote and to choose and participate. But can I tell you that your participation on changing this world will have no greater effect than to the degree and the level that you share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for everyone around you. You want to make a difference in this world? Lead somebody to Jesus. You want to make a difference in your family? Lead them to follow Christ. The Bible says that they waited there in the book of Acts. They waited in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were spirit-filled and they became his witnesses. They boldly shared. Now, what is a witness? A witness very simply provides information. A witness shares two things. A witness shares, number one, what they know. A witness shares or tells what they know. The dictionary defines the word very simply. One who has seen or heard something and furnishes evidence. You don't have to tell everybody every theological nuance of salvation. You don't have to have a fully orbed understanding of eschatology and end times. What you need to do is say this, I once was blind and now I see. I was dead and I'm alive. Jesus changed everything. I was one way. Any of y'all watched any of The Chosen? There's a, a, a series that has been put out on the Bible. Kind of fascinating to follow the storyline and to watch how it develops. But I love that line. I once was this way, and now I'm totally different. And the thing in the middle that was the difference was Jesus. If that's the testimony of your life, you better tell it. Because Jesus has commanded you to witness. He's commanded you to share. And it ought to be uncontainable. You ought to say, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was not a raise. It was not a new car, a new house, a new job, a new marriage, a new engagement. The greatest day of my life was when Jesus transformed my soul. Jesus saved me forever. Jesus promised me heaven. Jesus died in my place and he applied his death payment onto my death account. My debt has been paid. Let me apply this very simply. You don't have to be a theologian or a scholar to be a witness. You don't have to go to seminary or Bible school. You don't have to have a college degree or a high IQ. Just tell the truth about what Jesus has done for you to anyone who is willing to listen. And let me just say again, here's a good litmus test. If you're not doing that, Arno said it's because you're either not saved or you're in sin. There are soul winners and there are backsliders. Where are we? All I'm saying, church, is we need to get busy telling people the good news about Jesus. Secondly, I want you to see this. A witness shares what they've experienced. I know that's a harsh word to speak to a church. But church family, do you love people? If you do, you'll tell them the truth. If you had the absolute cure to the coronavirus and hid it in your sock drawer and told no one, how wicked would that be? You have the cure at your disposal for the greatest pandemic ever perpetrated against mankind, sin. And the remedy for sin is a Savior. 
And if we're not telling that, something's wrong. Something is disconnected. Something is short-circuited. But a witness shares what they've experienced. I have friends from all over the place, who, who from various countries, and they don't comprehend the idea of knowing Jesus personally. If I, if I tell them, you need to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, I might as well tell them they need a personal relationship with Christopher Columbus, that, that somebody is dead. How can I have a relationship with somebody that's dead? And I say, oh no, there is the difference. He is alive. We usually reserve this for Christmas, I mean, excuse me, for Easter, but if I said he is risen, how would you respond to me? He is risen indeed. The early church grew explosively and expansively because they knew Jesus is alive. You can throw me in jail, you can beat me, you can try to do everything to silence or stuff my message, but I've seen him with my eyes, I've touched him with my hands, I've spoken with him, we ate together on the beach, he prayed for us, and he commissioned me and told me to go and tell you until he comes again. He is alive. We need to live as if Jesus was alive. Why? Because he is. Amen? Now, I want to take just the last couple of minutes here, if I can, and I want to give you some analogy uh, or, or some explanation to this analogy of being a fisherman. How many of you, again, are fishermen? You would consider yourself a fisherman. You don't have to be vocational. I mean, it doesn't mean that you earn your living that way or you feed your family that way. Now, one more time, how many of you have ever caught a fish? Almost everybody. Let me give you just a few comparisons. These come from a Scottish pastor named Colin Smith. I love this. Some people are good at fishing, but anybody can do it. You don't have to know everything there is to know about fishing to catch a fish. In fact, I've seen our kids have gotten tired of fishing with us. I mean, they, they weren't catching anything for a little while, so they threw the pole down, and I've seen Brim bite an empty hook, and I was like, you just caught a fish. And they were all splashing around on the shore. You don't have to be good at fishing to catch fish. And my point is this, every Christian and any Christian can play a part in drawing others to Christ. Number two, I want you to see this, fishing requires great patience. Anybody ever get bored? I mean, some of you don't like to fish, you like to catch, right? If they aren't biting, you ain't going. I mean, it's just, okay, we're going to catch anything? My wife is like that. Oftentimes, she likes to go. She likes to sit and watch her cork. Actually, she likes to watch her iPad or her Kindle and read a book while the cork is out there. Honey, your cork is gone. Oh, here we go. But I'll ask her, you want to go fishing? And she says, no, I want to go catch something, right? There's a difference. She doesn't want to just go out there on the chance. She wants to make sure we're catching. And, and that's okay for all of us. But the, the reality is that it takes time. There was a movie a number of years ago called On Golden Pond, and the grandfather and the grandson were trying to catch Walter, this old trout, and he said, I've been trying to catch that fish for years. It takes patience. You throw out a line or a net or a hook, and then you wait. You throw it out again, and you wait. Many of us have loved ones who we would love to see one to Christ. You need to know that fishing requires patience. Why don't you continue to pray? You're called to do two things. We said it. I follow and I fish. Follow Jesus and trust him that he will draw people and you'll have opportunity to share. If your loved one has not yet come to faith in Christ, trust the Lord. You're fishing. I love the analogy. He didn't say you're going hunting from him, okay? We're not tracking them down. Only God can save somebody. He didn't call you to save them. He called you to share with them that he can save them.
So make sure you get this right. It will take patience, but we need to be about fishing. Number three, fishermen learn how to deal with discouragement. I think about Peter and the others. They'd fished all night. They'd not caught anything. They'd toiled all night. And every fisherman has a story like that. After Jesus fed the 5,000, he said to them these words in John 6. Listen, you have seen me and still you do not believe. You haven't caught anything today? Well, get up and go fishing tomorrow. Just because you haven't seen direct fruit from your labor this moment, have patience and trust in the Lord. His job is to clean them. Your job is to catch them. You don't have to get everybody in your life to start acting and smelling and looking like you or coming to church or following your list of do's and don'ts. You just share the gospel. Does that make sense, yes or no? And church family, lean in. I'm trying very simply to get you to grow up. I mean, that's the whole point of this series. We as a church family ought to be people who are grounded in the word, connected in prayer, lovingly in fellowship with one another and a witness to the world. That is the picture of a mature believer in 2021. And that has always been the picture of a mature believer in Christ. Number next, the church is a fishing boat, not a pleasure boat. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been on a, a true fishing boat? There's not a bunch of cushy chairs. There's not a lot of cushions around for them to clean because it's messy and it's hard work and sometimes it's bloody and there's scales and it can be a, a real mess. It smells like fish and it smells like bait. God didn't say this. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'll take you on a wonderful cruise. He said, follow me and I'm going to teach you to fish. You need to think deadliest catch, not love boat, okay? Following Christ is about ups and downs and, and difficulty and danger. It is hard. And there are people today that are fishing in uncharted waters and they may be killed for their faith. One of our men this morning at the prayer time mentioned that. Literally thousands of people lose their lives almost each and every week persecuted for their faith. You can be thrown into prison for your faith, for fishing. But we need to understand this. These two different boats are radically different in their approach and in their mission. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Number five, the last one I want you to see. There is great joy in catching fish. Amen. I knew somebody somewhere would jump into that. Have you ever seen somebody holding a fish? In a, it's amazing to me that the very first response we have, I caught a fish, let me take a picture. How did fishing and photography come so inextricably linked? Is it proof? Because fishermen often lie, I don't know, or exaggerate. If I've got a picture of it, then I can prove it, right? Here it is. But I've never seen somebody holding up a fish with a frown on their face. I mean, they'll kiss that thing for crying out loud. They're excited. They're happy. They're exuberant. Why? Because they caught a fish. And it doesn't matter if it's the first one or the 101st one. They're exuberant in that picture holding up that fish. There is great joy. And in this analogy, I think it's so appropriate that Jesus said it this way. He's pretty sharp. He knows what he's doing. The Bible says that there is great rejoicing in all of heaven when one sinner repents here on earth. And church family, I've said this before. Just use your sanctified imagination for one minute with me. 
Every time somebody gets saved, all of the angels in heaven, I mean, from one end of that spectrum to the other, there is a cosmic celebration. That person's name, I just envision, is, is written on the banner over the table. You talk about heavenly birthday cake. I mean, they are spiritually born again. But here's the part that gets me. There was a day, 1988, the name on the banner was Scott. I got saved. Somebody loved me enough not to liberally tell me, oh, God loves you and you live however you want to. No, they told me the truth. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ has paid it all. And I trusted Jesus Christ. And the celebration in heaven was over my life. And I want the party to continue. I don't know about you. But I pray that we would stir the waters of baptistry, whether it's in a lake or a creek or a bathtub or a swimming pool or right here in our church every single week because we would expect people to come to faith. And the only way we can expect it is this. The only hook guaranteed to never catch a fish is the one that's left in the tackle box. So I go back to Arnaud. If God left you on earth for a reason and you're not doing it, it's either because you are disobedient or you're lost. Church family, it's time for us to get really, really serious about discipleship, really serious about focusing on growing up together. That's why we're doing Starting Point September the 12th. That's why we have encouragers here at the end of every service. I don't ever want to miss another opportunity that we put hooks in the water. I pray that every service is us sharing, but, but you would share during the week and people would get saved during the week. We had people that walked into my office this week and said, we want to join with this church. This is the kind of church we want to be a part of. I pray that that happens every day. Do you know in the book of Acts when they were serious about following and fishing, the Bible says that God added daily to their number those who were being saved. That's not because they were gathering and the preacher was preaching every day. It's because people shared at work and people shared at home. We need to be a people of the book, people of prayer, people of loving fellowship, but a witness to the world. Now, here's what I'm going to call you to boldly and unapologetically this morning. If you look into your heart and you say, you know what, I've been in church and I've been involved in religious things. I've never shared my faith. Maybe it's just because of fear. We can train you. We can work with you. We can help you. You know, we've got a class next week. We're going to start it. How to tell people about your grandchildren. Okay, you need to come to that class. We're going to teach you eight ways the importance of the, the focus and how to transition conversations into how to talk about your grandkids. Not necessary. Am I right? It's like a screen door on a submarine. You just don't need that class. Why do we need classes to tell people how to tell somebody what Jesus did for them? How many of you would just say, I'm not putting anybody on the spot. I'm putting everybody on the spot. You would say by an uplifting of your hand, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am saved. If you can say that today, hallelujah. Tell somebody when it happened, where you were. You don't have to know all the theology. You just simply say, I was blind and now I see. 
Now, if that's not you and you couldn't with confidence raise your hand, I want to invite you to be saved today. You can start a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is alive today. He is real. He was raised from the dead, and he is soon coming again to bring to himself all those that have trusted in him. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask Brother Wes and our musicians to make their way forward. They're going to play softly in the background as they're playing. I'm going to pray, and at the end of my prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing. And if you today need to be saved, just step out from where you are and come to the front. We have encouragers that will be right over here. I'll receive you at the front. If you want to come to me, I would love to meet you. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to introduce you to one of our encouragers, and they will walk you through how you can trust Jesus Christ. Maybe the need of your life today is to transfer your membership from another church or you just simply say I want to be a part of this church we can walk you through how to do that so if you would just when we begin singing after I pray just simply come forward and we can take care of whatever decision is on your heart maybe you just need somebody to pray with you we have people that are equipped to do that let's stand together as I'm praying when we say amen you move. Either you begin singing and praying for other people or you leave where you are and you come to the front. Either way, let God have his way during this time. Father, thank you that you have given to us the command, the responsibility, and the privilege to be witnesses to the world. God, I pray that our church would develop a heart hunger and an expectation for people to be saved week after week day after day. And God, I pray that even now there perhaps are some here that know, they know that they know they've played religious games, but they are not saved. God, would you give them the courage to step out and today to trust Jesus Christ and find redemption and forgiveness. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for the atonement. Thank you that you came, you took on flesh, and you covered our sins. God, I pray that people would let you have your way right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You come as we sing.